This podcast is brought to you by Minimal Productions. Producer Jim Mintz. Bail is refused. You're out of order! If it pleases the court. To adopt this affirmation, please say the words, I do. I do. Nothing further from this court. Given the serious nature of this offence, this case is dismissed. Welcome to The Wigs. I'm your host, Jim Means. Kathleen Foldwig has spent two decades locked up over the deaths of her four children in maximum security prisons, largely confined to a cell for her own safety and regarded as a result of her convictions as one of Australia's most heinous serial killers. Miss Foldwig has always maintained her innocence, though. The case could well be one of the gravest miscarriages of justice this country has ever seen. A mother not only facing the tragedy of losing her four children, but being wrongly punished for their deaths. Her latest petition for pardon has been signed by scores of prominent scientists and medical professionals professionals who have concluded that the scientific and medical evidence creates a strong presumption that the Folbig children died of natural causes. In this episode, the Whigs discuss the case with special guest Dr. Robert Kavanagh, who's Miss Folbig's barrister. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Whigs. Been a long time coming, but here we are in the studio with Stephen Lawrence, MLC. How are you going? Good, mate. Good to be here. <laughs> hey, congratulations on that change Just my title. same old self, that's all. <laughs> nice one. Nothing new. The most honourable Stephen Lawrence. Emmanuel Kirkasherian, how are you going? Jim, very well. Very happy to be back. Season five. Season five. You know, I didn't even see you in the last episode of season four. No, you? I so dialed in, yeah. Congratulations on being here and experiencing the new surroundings. Love these, these, these cool. things that our studio providers provided us with. Felicity Graham, how are you going? I'm going well. I'm going very well. Excellent. She's got, got a baby for in her arms and a red beanie on. <laughs> so that's that. If the, 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 the third party noise is not Felicity, it's Felicity's <laughs> special guest that she's introduced into this episode. Lovely to have you here. So good to be with you. It's so good to have the band back together. I said at the start of every season, but it's it's true. It's true. I think yeah. that's right. Ravi's auditioning for drama right uh, now. Good, good. So, we need one. So changes this season. We're going to give a go at doing. Yeah, I yeah. didn't want to put this on record, but Manny, if you insist. <laughs> Yeah, We're going to attempt to put out more wigs at more digestible um, episode lengths. Yeah. And I'm going to call it Swift Wigs. Yeah. Well, we oh, want we feedback. That up so we're, we're going to try and do what we used to do, three topics in one. We're going to do one topic an episode. Just smash it out, yep. But give us feedback, like tweet, Facebook, whatever. Let us know if you yeah. like it or you don't. Yeah, yeah, definitely. There's a lot of you out there. Um, so tell us. And, and yeah, and I, yeah, I don't get any feedback. Because I don't see anyone who knows the wigs, but you guys get. What do you? What's, what do you get on the street? I was at a party yesterday. Someone was telling me how they love the podcast. Specifics. Uh, they were quite moved by our unwigged series. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, interesting. They thought it was quite, um, quite moving. Yeah. Well, there you go. But in terms of constructive feedback, I remember at the beginning when we were sort of encouraging more of that. People, a lot of people wanted shorter and more frequent. Mm. And when I sort of read about podcasts, that seems to be the trend, right? Like twenty minutes to half an hour every week seems to be. I can. I like it. I like a good twenty-minute podcast. Mm. Yeah. I'm not into it. I like the super long form. So mm. it'll be interesting to see how mm. our numbers go and what people think. Super long, what like three hours? Hour yeah, and a half? man. I would go for three hours. I yeah, think. hours. But, you yeah. know, you just chew it up over time. But anyway, uh, topic one, and we and uh, straight into it. Straight into it, and Let's our go. recusal. So we need to put at the outset that our good friend, the Honourable Stephen Lawrence, is recusing himself entirely from this discussion. He will not be involved or associated under any circumstances, no input whatsoever. And he's actually left, so there's no response from him on that one. So we'll proceed with the matter without 
the Honourable Stephen Lawrence, MLC. Felicity Graham, take it away. We're going to talk about Kathleen Folbig. She uh, has been convicted in relation to the deaths of four of her children Mm. back in the late 80s and into the 90s. Just a bit of a very quick background about the cases uh, and where we're up to now. She had four children. Caleb died in 1989. Patrick died in 1991. Sarah died in 1993. And Laura died in 1993. She was convicted at a jury trial in respect of the murder of three of them and the manslaughter and malicious grievous bodily harm of the fourth. And she was sentenced initially to 40 years imprisonment, then reduced on appeal to 30 years imprisonment with a non-parole period of 25 years. Her earliest release date to parole possible is in 2028. Mm -hmm. There was a conviction inquiry, and we'll get a bit more into the details of the the legal um, basis for that, in, announced in 2018 by the then Attorney General Mark Speakman, that concluded in a finding that um, there was not a reasonable doubt as to her guilt in respect of those offences. But in more recent times, a further inquiry has been uh, going on, and uh, Margaret Beasley, the governor directed an inquiry pursuant to Section 771A of the Crimes Appeal and Review Act. She did that in circumstances where it appears that there's a doubt or question as to part of the evidence in the proceedings leading to the conviction of Kathleen Folbig for those offences and where that doubt or question concerns evidence that a genetic variant called CALM, C-A-L-M-2, G114R identified in DNA samples from two of the children, Sarah and Laura, has biophysical and functional consequences that may cause cardiac arrhythmias and sudden unexpected death in young children. And this was evidence that was just not available at the time? Wasn't available at the time um, and a number of scientists have come out in recent times um, saying there's a real issue here this is a miscarriage of justice. Mm. Um, so, and so... Can I just ask, the evidence at first instance, was that basically... Did that include scientists saying, look, you just don't get sudden infant death syndrome that many times causing death, and so it must be, in effect, something other than natural causes? Yeah, there's this notion... Um, Sometimes referred as Meadows' law, it's attributed to this British paediatrician, Roy Meadow, who said, one, sudden infant death is a tragedy, two, is suspicious, three, is murder, Mm. until proven otherwise. This sort of idea that the improbability of all four children dying naturally um, meant that they had a case for her culpability for the deaths. Uh, in circumstances where she wasn't saying that the husband or father had done it 
and where there were some other circumstantial pieces of evidence, like things she'd written in her journals and some characterization of the way that she responded to the deaths, particularly in relation to this question of whether she tried to um, resuscitate them or not. Uh, and there was an argument, Mark Tedeschi was the prosecutor, mm. that she didn't do that because she already knew that they were dead. I saw in, in an ABC article a quote of one of the diary entries of June 18, 1996, quote, I'm ready this time and I know I'll have help and support this time. When I think I'm going to lose control like last time, I'll just hand baby over to someone else, not feel so totally alone getting back into my exercise after will help my state of mind and sleeping wherever possible as well. I've learnt my lesson this time. Mm. So that was the tenor of some of the uh, diary entries that she'd written. Mm. Yeah, they were certainly used um, against her. Mm. Uh, so just more recently, there's been a second inquiry, this inquiry that Margaret Beasley has directed under the Crimes Appeal and Review Act, and the former Chief Justice Tom Bathurst is holding that inquiry. And to discuss this topic more, we have a very special guest in the studio. It's Ms. Folbig's lawyer, Robert Kavanagh. Welcome, Robert. Hello. Robert, we thought we might just start with how you became involved in this case. So how did, you, how did you become Ms. Folbig's lawyer? Oh, in 2014, I was asked to draft a petition for an inquiry. So I did that, and that was completed in 2015. Then I... Uh, waited and waited while two attorney generals supposedly were considering the petition. I shouldn't have waited, but I did. Anyway, they eventually there was an Australian story and then the, the first inquiry was announced and uh, I appeared at that inquiry and then I decided that something odd was happening. So um, the results of that inquiry were negative. Mm. Uh, was there something new at that inquiry compared to the trial in 2003? Uh, we put with the petition a lengthy report by uh, Dr. Stephen Cordner, or Professor Stephen Cordner, who's a lead forensic pathologist from Victoria. It analysed the evidence as to cause of death um, and also the way the evidence was led from various witnesses. And it exposed a number of problems with that evidence, uh, so we pressed ahead. Was that the evidence looking at this case theory that the prosecution put forward it, that Kathleen had smothered her children? Yes, well, the basis upon which... Uh, the prosecution claimed she smothered her children was that there was no evidence of smothering the children but you could smother people without leaving evidence therefore she smothered the children um, it had a it had a certain insane logic to it but then of course the other problem was what is known as Meadows law 
a discredited dogma which says you can have, we should all feel sad, put in brief terms, if one child dies in a family, we should be suspicious if two, and if three die, then of course it's murder unless proved otherwise. Complete nonsense, um, idiocy of a high order, uh, but um, many people believed in it. Mm. Uh, including a lot of the experts um, who should have known better. But it had also been discredited well before, or not well before, but shortly before the, the trial. Because they'd run that line in England. Meadows Law um, is a, a short term for Saroy Meadow, who, of course, got around saying that there was a percentage chance, a tiny percentage chance of having so many deaths in the family. That, that is, of course, again, nonsense. But mm. he got away with it for a while until he was stopped in England. We're a bit slower um, here, apparently, especially in New South Wales. Victoria was doing better than New South Wales on it. So, Robert, uh, the first inquiry comes back and says there's no... Well, there's no reasonable doubt or it's not sufficient to reopen the case. Did you then lodge another petition to the Governor? I, on the 2nd of March 2021, I was no longer acting for Ms Fulbrick after the inquiry, other than having an interest. Mm. But I decided that I should become interested again but I didn't want to interrupt what the lawyers for her were doing in terms of a court of appeal action. Um, so, but I had nothing to do with that. Uh, and so I, I decided, with along with the solicitor, um, Rani Rego, uh, to launch a petition. And it, it seemed to interest a number of scientists. Mm. And so I think we got up to 150 world's leading scientists because the petition was based on a genetic finding which was known at the uh, 2019 inquiry. That's a CALM 2G114R variant, which um, or mutation, which affected the mother and also the two children, uh, Sarah and Laura. But it was my position, always has been, that we didn't need a genetic variant to show cause of death in Laura, which was always myocarditis, an infection of the heart. And all um, pathologists were saying that's the cause of death of that one, bar one who said it was undetermined, that he based his undetermined on a type of Meadows law. And he said if the others hadn't died, he probably would have put myocarditis in it. <laughs> that is the cause. Uh, so, of course, when you have um, an amazing array of problems, one of them was you have coincidence reasoning, which was a complete nonsense. Uh, it was commonplace uh, in the sense that they put up propositions such as, uh, as a point of coincidence, that she was a mother. That's been striking. Uh, and the tendency argument was that... Um, she used to lose her temper with the children. Hmm? Mm. Uh, went into a rage and sort of... But that was the motive as well. So She was frustrated about their imposition on her life, that sort of 
notion? Well, not quite, but just lost it. <laughs> and that was the argument for tendency, but it was also the motives that put forward by, well, one of the motives, there were two motives, thank you, Joyce, uh, put forward by the prosecutor at the time. But it was, it was just silly. And were those tendency and coincidence, that, that was accepted by the trial judge and effectively permitted to be argued in front of the jury? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, let, let me say this. The, the <laughs> you, you need to look at it closely to see where the problem lies, all right? So the tendency argument was, and coincidence argument was made before one judge not the trial judge. Right. And mm. then the, the trial judge... Was stuck uh, with that. Well, whether stuck with it or not, uh, it was the way it, the trial was run. Mm. Because they had to do that. If you didn't join the trials, and as you know, you need tendency or coincidence of both to mm. join trials. There would have been separate trials. There were separate trials... The, the verdicts would have been not guilty in each one. Mm. But they needed to join them in order to be able to see that, you know, how extraordinary is this, children? You know, look at this. There's, there's four deaths. Hmm? Mm. So that's what they did. But there was also a natural cause of death for the second child, Patrick. He had epilepsy, okay? So the evidence was a bit overwhelming on that one. And uh, the idea that Kathleen hurt her children... It's just screwy. See, um, there's a huge amount of evidence to the contrary. Mm. They were relying on diaries and journals. About 50,000 words of journal entries. She, she wrote her depressing thoughts in them. Mm. And, but none of them are admissions of guilt. Such as you could say, she said, I did that or I did this or whatever. Mm. She didn't. None of that. Just nonsense. So moving forward to the inquiry that's on now, mm. we're at a point where the council assisting has said to um, Tom Bathurst that the ultimate submission of council assisting is that on the whole of the body of evidence before this inquiry, there is a reasonable doubt as to Ms Folbig's guilt. And the representative for the Director of Public Prosecutions has said that the Director accepts that on the evidence now available, it's open to Your Honour to conclude that there is reasonable doubt as to the guilt of Ms Folbig in relation to the offences for which she is previously convicted arising from the deaths of her children. Why, why is Kathleen still locked up? Well, uh I think the current, you see, the pardoning process uh, involves a recommendation from the Attorney General to the Governor via the Executive Council. So really you'd have to ask the Attorney General. What I think the Attorney General is saying is I'm waiting for the decision of Mr Bathurst. Mr Bathurst, of course, uh, I, I make... Uh, no utterances about him other than to say I'm sure he'll, he will apply uh, his in best endeavours and is more than capable of analysing the evidence. He doesn't 
need my assistance to do that other than what we have already given and I don't give any more than that but uh, I do say directing attention to the Attorney General uh, he like the previous Attorney General um, need to consider uh, the prerogative of mercy and mm. the application of the parole powers that exist and I can take you to the various sections if you mm. want yeah that'd be but, great uh, let's, let's go to them all right um, you see, under the, it, it's an interesting area of of law. It's a bit archaic, but it's still in the, it's in the law. And a petition to the governor is under the Crimes Appeal and Review Act, two thousand and one, section seventy six. <coughs> a petition, a, a petition for review of a conviction or sentence, or the exercise of the governor's pardoning power, may be made to the governor. Uh, by the convicted person or by another person on behalf of the convicted person. And it goes on dealing with what is taken into account, considerations in 77. But it all arises from the original prerogative of mercy power, uh, that is forbearance and forgiveness. So if you get a pardon, you're not acquitted mm. of the crime. You are, you are, we, we no longer punish you and we forgive you. Mm. Now, in order to get a, a, and that's ordinary, right? It's not an exceptional thing to do. It happened in the Chamberlain case. It happened in the Ziggy Pole case. It happened in a number of other cases in New South Wales and other parts of Australia. It's ordinary that upon there being a clear um, position that the person is not guilty of the offences of which they've been convicted, you pardon them. That's what you do do. But we said, as of the of the March 2021 uh, pardon, that there was enough evidence anyway, and we offered the then Attorney General uh, via the Academy of Science, when I say we, they, uh, offered to provide all the experts to consult with uh, the Attorney General. He declined. That would have been for free. Um, so to looking at the at the mutation or variant as they call it. So the pardoning power is there. It's based on the prerogative of mercy. <coughs> it's designed where there's been a clear um, it's a, a miscarriage in, the, in my view and it, it's also a protection for all of us. There are obviously better systems but this is the one we've got at the moment. And the, the same applies in terms of a parole petition which we put in at some point last year just to speed it along to see if maybe they'll give us one of them early parole mm -hmm. uh, so she's still not sorry robert is she still not eligible for parole on her sentence not till 2028 i yeah, think yeah right can, can yeah. i just ask uh, in, uh, having a look at the division two of part seven of the crimes appeal and review act in <coughs> section 67 says that a petition for review of a conviction etc 76. The, sorry, 76, yeah. yeah. Exercise of the governor's pardoning power may be made to the governor. And then 77 says, after consideration of a petition, it can be referred to a judge or various other things. But sure. my reading of that is that it's the governor is bound, and by the governor, I presume it's the governor or advice of the Attorney General, is bound to consider the petition before sending it to a judicial officer to have an inquiry unless certain other circumstances are met. Is that right? So that, does the government maintain a power to um, pardon a person 
even without an inquiry being conducted? Yeah. Yeah. So it's not the case that one has to wait for the findings of the inquiry in order to exercise the pardon power. I think the pardon power exists at any point in time, whether you have an inquiry or not, and it can be based on letters from the convicted person. Yeah. Might might I say that there was a suggestion coming from the political people that uh, maybe it was resolved, the pardon was resolved once the then Attorney General established an inquiry. But it's not. It's still extant. And that's been confirmed to me. Yeah. So the the Governor, it's still active with the Governor. No doubt about that. Mm. And in any case, parole parole could be granted, presumably pending the decision and... Yeah. But, or pretending the, the findings of the inquiry. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it, it's objectively very um, terrible, isn't it, that you're leaving somebody in jail. I mean, the, the, the extent of that, I mean, perhaps, perhaps they ought to consider some sympathy. How about some empathy? Mm. How about exercising the powers you have? I. I mean, I, I would have thought that empathy was a normal human feeling. And and when you're looking at somebody who shouldn't be in jail, then you say, well, let's have them out. Mm. It's all very common sense, isn't it? The delay seems intolerable. Well, it is for her. Uh, she's um, been... <laughs> she's in a... <laughs> Yeah, a horrible situation. She's been I'm, assaulted I'm really in jail. She's had to be in protective custody. The, the prison officers don't want her there. Mm. Yeah, I mean, this is one of those things, you know, where it's it's all all aspects of government now do this. There's a reluctance for decision makers to make decisions. Instead, they send things out for inquiries, mm. or they, you know, get. A review of a a report of a review. Or they get KPMG to give tax advice or something like that. And Mm. instead of making the decisions themselves. Mm. And I think it's, you know, what are we paying these people for? I don't want to be rude about it or discourteous to people, but I sometimes wonder... No, that's fine, Robert. Go for it, mate. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, I I really don't because... But sometimes I wonder... um, what, what are the politicians doing? They've sold off most of the state assets. They, they've sold the lands, titles of it. Are they actually doing anything? Um, I sometimes wonder. They don't meet a lot. But that's, my, that, that's a sideline political criticism that any of us can make. But focus, focus. They should focus and say, well, we have a problem here. Let's, let's be decent about it and... Uh, all of them. It's not just the Attorney General. It, 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 it's, it's the Parliament. Mm. I mean, it, 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 it's just, I don't want to pick on the Attorney General alone. <laughs> not really. <laughs> but I think it's important that um, each one of the politicians has taken a seat in a Parliament, has a responsibility to ensure that the, the government is acting 
with decency and with humanity yeah. and and they need to stop where they see ongoing cruelty but he will stop it mm. Yeah, part of part of the problem, I think, for the politicians, and I don't know whether this amounts to a defence of them or not, but you know, we've seen situations where where members of parliament and ministers depart from official advice or don't seek official advice, and then they're criticised by the corruption bodies for not having followed advice or not having sought advice. So there's this whole scheme that's this whole culture that's developed of don't make any decisions yourself. Mm. You know, well, fear. fear is something that we can all suffer from. Mm. But let's not get carried away with it because uh, they got themselves elected. Yeah. I mean, I voted for some of them, you know. I mm. mean, really. Uh, and I, it's a bit... <clears throat> never voted for the past government, but, uh, you know, it's... It, it, you know, what a, get to work. Mm. Do the work. Don't be lazy. Think about it. Come forward. And look, see, the problem is we haven't even heard. Let's just assume that there's a reasonable ground for saying let's wait until Mr Bathurst gives his determination. I don't think that's reasonable, but, you know, let's say a reasonable minds differ just for the point. That doesn't stop you releasing her on parole one. It yes. doesn't stop you from saying to her, if this is found, this is what I will do. Hmm? It doesn't stop them from doing that. Now, why they won't even do that, I don't know. Uh, you'd have to ask them. But it, it, it's deeply worrying, and it should be worrying for every right-thinking uh, citizen in New South Wales, everyone should be worried about it because it's reflecting a, a, a toughness that is not expected of government. Mm. Well, Robert, Godspeed to you and this uh, journey that you're on. Uh, it's fantastic that you could join us on the program today to get the message out. We really appreciate your time and your expertise and your knowledge into this matter. And uh, maybe we can have you on again under better circumstances with a better outcome in the near near future. Yeah, yeah, of course, but I'm happy to give detailed lectures on the law. So, <laughs> no, I, I regard this as part of my educational role, yes. which I've had for a very long time. Oh, and yes. I'm very happy and appreciate you allowing me to talk to you. Thank you, Robert. Thanks, Robert. Thanks appreciate so much, your time. Robert. Thanks. listening please like the wigs on facebook at the wigs podcast don't forget to rate and review on itunes this podcast was brought to you by minimal productions produced by jim mintz